happy that he's taken a break, but he seemed really passionate about defending this young 25-year-old. Well, he's smart. He's aligned himself with the younger generation because, look, strategically, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you never want to be that guy. Yeah, it's just in your interest. Self-preservation instincts take over. Alex, we miss you. Good luck during the revolution. I will put in a good word for you. Troy, you're due. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about media, technology, and culture, detecting patterns between the three. Normally, I'm joined each week by Troy Young and Alex Schleifer, but Alex is, where is Alex, Troy? Do we know? Is he in LA, he said? He was in Mexico City for the F1 race, and now he's in Los Angeles doing something else. A true man of the people activities. Very dubious. I want to talk to you about generational stuff today. I know this is a little bit cliched, but I think generations themselves like are very arbitrary things. But let's leave that aside, because to me, new generations bring new thinking, because as you get older, it happens to all of us. You grow more conservative, small c conservative, because you've got more at risk. And so it it's, takes an ev- it's an evolutionary impulse. The only people who don't, what is the old thing? It's like, if you're young and like not progressive, you're a cop. But if you're old and you're not somewhat small-c conservative, you're, I don't know, a college professor. No, but it's how we evolve as a species, right? Right. We react against the things that the previous generation did to try to make things better and, you know, just find new paths forward. It's just part of being a biological entity. Okay, so you're very enthused for this. Topic. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I just <laughs> okay, feel like I'm excitement. about to be attacked by you. You're and not Alex. being attacked. You're not being like you're so sensitive. You're not going to be attacked. Alex is not here to protect you, but you're still you'll be fine. You're in good hands. No, because I think we can bring different perspectives to it. Because you're a young boomer. I'm Gen X. And I'm not a young boomer. I'm definitely Gen X, <laughs> okay. just for the record. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, we'll where did you get that from? I'm a young boomer. I'm definitely not a boomer. My older brother is a boomer. And he's, no, I didn't say a boomer. Yeah. I said a young boomer. And a young boomer is not, again, these generational yeah. things are very arbitrary. I grew up arbitrary. with Douglas Copeland. I am Gen X. These generational divides are very arbitrary. I had always thought it was baby boomers and then Gen X, but then... If they're I, arbitrary, then give me Gen X. I don't want to be a boomer. Yeah, but you're a young boomer, and I think it's going to come I'm not a young boomer. Well, we'll see where this conversation goes, and then we'll let people decide if you're a young boomer or not. Okay? Okay. okay. I'm trying to establish leverage for this argument. It's a discussion, it's not an argument, because we need more conversation, less arguments. But I think right now, I think Gen Z is having a moment, if you will. And this is this is really the first arrival to me of Gen Z. And I was I was struck by opposite things, but I think that they're somewhat related because they've both engendered a bit of a backlash, if you will, among older people, whether they're Young boomers or Gen X. I mean, baby boomers are, are mad about everything. I was just, I spent the weekend in a retirement community. They're all very happy, but they think the whole world has gone to shit, which I can sort of get. I mean, that's the fate of all of us. Anyway, we don't have to do this. And net, net though, right? Young retirement years are good years. If you look at the graph, people oh, are yeah. happy. So the graph is like any of you out there in your 40s, this is as bad as it gets, basically. And no, then, no, early 50s is bad. Well, okay, but like 
it, it declines the to the point of like 50 to 51. I'm turning 51 next next month. So I'm pretty much at the nadir right now, <laughs> apparently, according to the graph of my happiness. The despondency. No, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're in yeah. The, the bottom. Yeah, I'm enveloped in darkness. So I'm really excited what the next several You years. seem happier than ever, by the way. I, when you were like a grumpy old editor, you were much less pleasant. I mean, you have bad days, but you feel good. It's good now. You're okay, good. Okay, good. And you know why that is? And I think this actually plays into... Self-determination. Yeah, basically. And I think what Gen Z is coming with this intense desire for autonomy. For instance, there is this... I sent it to you guys. Everyone probably has seen it at this point, or maybe not. The 9 to 5 girl. Maybe we can have Vanya play 9 to 5 girl in case anyone has not seen this viral TikTok video. I know I'm probably just being so dramatic and annoying, but this is my first job, like my first nine to five job after college. And I'm in person and I'm commuting in the city and it takes me fucking forever to get there. There's no way I'm going to be able to afford living in the city right now. So that's off the table. Like fucking duh. If I was able to walk to work and it w- it'd be fine, but I'm not. So it literally takes me like I leave here, like I get on the train at 730 and I don't get home till like 615 earliest. And then like I don't have time to do anything. I don't I want to shower eat my dinner and go to sleep i don't have time or energy to cook my dinner either like i don't have energy to work out like that's out the window like i'm so upset oh my god nothing to do with my job at all but just like the nine to five schedule in general is crazy being in the office nine to five like if it was remote you get off at five and you're home and everything's fine but like i'm not home it takes me long to get home and like like people that drive to the office like it doesn't you don't get off at five and i know it could be worse i know i could be working longer but like i literally get off it's pitch black like i don't have energy how do you have friends like how do you have time to like meet like a guy i don't know like how do you have time for like dating like i don't have time for anything and i'm like so stressed out i found this very compelling as you know, Troy, you we talked not. during the pandemic. I went through this this weird period in Miami where I was ready to start a DAO or join a kibbutz or something. I was reacting to something. So I found mm-hmm. it very compelling. I think she makes a lot of good points. And I think the reactions to it were basically smoking out who's young boomers. I think it's a good reaction. I, I, I don't mean to... to... Oh, no. I think you wanted to have a good reaction to it. I think you pushed yourself to have a positive reaction to it. Really? Because yeah, because you you know you're trying to identify with the younger generation. You believe naturally that it's in your interest to kind of move with that broad generational power shift, and you wisely, I think, and I think you could look at the video and then look at the kind of postscript of that video and say, well, she makes a point. Why do we have to look at? the nine to five work construct is being something that just is, is there a better way? And, you know, I think there's probably some merit to that, but like broadly you have a privileged white girl in New Jersey crying on TikTok because she's leaving for work in New York city at, a, you know, got a good, seemingly a decent marketing job at eight in the morning and getting back at six fifteen, And she is struggling to have time to socialize or, you know, cook dinner or mm-hmm. go to the gym or do the things that she wants to do. And I think that the like knee jerk reaction from many people that have had to kind of like work to get ahead or work really hard or experience the time young in their life where work ate up too much of their time and they did it 
with the promise, whether you know realized or not, of something better. People like that are, and, and I'm not even talking about like my parents' generation. Are just like get a grip. Are you talking about Garrett, the young boomer generation? I'm. <laughs> I'm it's talking be a about theme, Troy. I don't know if you realized that. Right, yet. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you. But my first reaction was get a grip, and this is pathetic. And my, upon reflection, I would say that there are things in there that, I mean, listen, I... Did, did you say that before you were like, because last week we were talking about the topic of the show and you were like, I'm going to think about this like at the gym and it was 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the fact that a lot of the people coming down on this nine to five girl don't themselves work nine to five because we work all the time. That's what I would say to you when you would call me during the pandemic and I'd be at the standard pool. I would tell you it was ideation time because it was. I work all the time. Sure. So that's the thing. I think get beyond the fact, I don't care the fact that she's white or I have no idea she's privileged and I don't know anything about her. She does seem like she's white. I have no idea about her privileged status. I understand that the way young people deliver things can sometimes put older generations off. But I think you got to push past that and, and treat what she's saying seriously, even if she's saying it like me with a lot of likes in between. The point, it holds, right? I mean, the nine to five workday was established by Henry Ford for an assembly line. Now, at the time, I bet a lot of the parents of people who are nine to five were saying to them, are you kidding me? We work 16 hours and like, we were lucky if we just lost a hand. Like, what, what are you complaining about? Why do you want, like, you need like nine to five? So like things progress. Why not be open to it, Troy? <laughs> Listen, it just makes me think a lot of things. First is that working for home broadly has been, or a hybrid work structure has been an extremely good thing. Anybody oh, you think has, it has been? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that what you miss is the spirit of collectivism and it was always hanging out. And, yeah, but... It was canceled out by the dishes in the sink. We used to always have these people who took pictures of the dishes in the sink. I used to get up at six. I used to commute to my fat office in the city. Yeah, you had a good view. Yeah, but between... Do you miss that view? Not really. Exactly. <laughs> All the things that you had to do to get ready for the day, the time in and out of meetings, the times, you know, having fancy lunches, wasted, you know, niceties you, as people gathered for the meeting. I mean, it just was colossally inefficient. Now I can get up early, I can work, I can get more done between seven and two than I got done before in an entire workday. So I think there is a real efficiency argument. I think this is much bigger than that. I mean, if you want to contrast sort of the classic baby boomers with Gen Z, I mean, it's useful to kind of try to draw lines between them. But like one had the loyalty, arguably, of corporations. They had long-term employment. They had these hierarchical structures that you could either live inside of or try to break and, and kind of move up quickly. The world was a kind of simpler place, right? And then our generation, Gen X, came along after that. And I, I think the values in terms of work hard, achieve, get more was sort of ingrained in us, even if our parents did abandon us, which is to me the mark of Gen X, was like the non-parented yeah. generation. Latchkey kids. 
Yeah, but like I grew up with technology, but with traditional work structures, had some good fortune early on. Too, but it was more. What technology did you have? Well, listen, dude, I've spent my whole you life. You were in like Saskatoon. <laughs> they had the internet there, brother. Yeah, but you're a young boomer. There's no way you had like at best you had like a word processor, like or one of those brother the brother word processor. I had. I was on the internet in college. I wasn't. I remember having a modem on my desk at graduate school. Really? In, oh, wow. Well, Montreal, school. yeah. Okay. Well, it's that didn't last long, but anyway. We wrote letters. I, I wrote a lot of letters. Anyway, we were a generation that grew up with, <laughs> with technology. So I write a newsletter now. But our work structures were pretty traditional. Millennials, this is one of the interesting transition points, and I'd love to get your take on this, mm. because the millennials had this kind of desire for more meaningful work, for better work-life integration, Work started to blend into play. I think org structures with millennials kind of got flattened out. And we saw this, to me, that generation kind of, it's hard to separate it from the sort of new ideas about work that were championed by like tech companies. Yeah. Particularly the, you know, educated technical class were coddled. You got free food and you got tons of office perks. Yeah. And, and so you have this new you know, work is family idea or work can be enjoyable or we'll make it enjoyable for yeah, you. Yeah, it's like and the campus, friends. like the whole, the, the I mean, they got bamboozled, idea. right? Like, I mean, the at the end of the day, a lot of work trends have emanated from Silicon Valley. Everyone has imitated Silicon Valley, I feel like, when it comes to work. And Silicon Valley pioneered the campus. You know, fine, it's, this stretches back some time, but I think they made it, particularly with Google, really a continuation of college. That was almost the promise Right. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't put up dorms. Maybe they should. Right, and then it's it's interesting to get your take on that transition to Gen Z, where you see the emergence of people like hustle culture, this entrepreneurial spirit, where they wanted more. Like Gary V. Gary V. is a is a millennial creation, if you ask me. But he's he's Gen X for sure. But anyway. yeah, I know. But his he might be Gen X, but like he's marketing that stuff to Gen X is too cynical for that stuff. I mean, come on. Yeah. He's marketing that stuff to millennials. But, but Gen Z started to, to take the idea of the millennials further, prioritizing well-being, yeah. purpose at work, DEI, more sustainable. Like, And then at the same time, social media made everything visible. The thing that this woman did is would be unheard of, like to get on. Can you imagine no. your parents' generation getting on TikTok and saying, oh my God, I'm working so hard. Nine to five. Forget about parents. What about our generation? I'll allow you in the broader Gen X for this. I can't get ahead. No, I never would have posted. I would have been scared to lose my job. But think about it more broadly. If you want me to be slightly sympathetic, this generation's going to have it tough, dude. It's hard to afford a house. There's been pressure to move to these coastal markets that are extremely expensive. House prices are through the roof. Interest rates have doubled the pain. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh my God, what am I working for if I'm not going to like have that life that you promised? Well, I think a lot of it is also, we're at a point of development where increasingly there's the possibility that our broadly defined generation is the last one who can credibly think, yeah, I'm definitely going to have a better standard of living than my parents. Outside yeah. of technological advances that let everyone have things that our parents could never have dreamed of having. Leave that aside. Technology advances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when we talk about the core things of housing, when we talk about education, when we talk about health, 
when we talk about having, however one defines in an American context, middle class, everyone defines themselves as middle class in the United States. You can be in the top like 0.01% and you'd be like, well, I'm upper middle class. I think this generation, millennials, it was like, mm, they could still plausibly, this generation thinks, oh, there's not only no shot at that, but these boomers and young boomers, et cetera, have trashed the planet and have wiped out like possibly our existence. I think that's the thinking. And from everything I've read, I don't spend a lot of time with Gen Z because it would be weird. Would it be weird? It would be weird. What's the age range on that? They were like born in the late 90s. So I mean, at best, they're like 24, 23. 24. Yeah, I mean, I hang out with them because they're my children. Right. I mean, outside, yeah, I don't go to playgrounds. Yeah. I don't remember what my question was. <laughs> No, but I think that that, that is a, a part of this. And it's important not to, to me, it's important not to dismiss this as one of those Muppets in the balcony, like harumphing against like young people, because every generation has done that. And if you look back to like the 60s, their parents were like, these kids are, have, no, have no idea what they're talking about. They need to get a job and cut their hair and stuff. It just continues. Now that we, broadly speaking, are in those older generations, it happens quicker than you think. <laughs> it really does. Right. It would behoove us to take them seriously. Right. And where this got interesting, I think, in the thread, the thread that we have between you, me, and Alex, is that Alex is like a single-threaded human being, it seems. And he just cannot stand the idea that a bunch of rich guys would hate on a young woman who was making a good point about challenging our work norms. And so when your buddy Jason Kalkanis did the predictable and on Twitter said, oh, wow, poor best, sad for you. It's so hard you have to work like all the rest of us did to get anywhere. Alex went off and he's like, these guys are just like so annoying. Well, it's, it is annoying, right? I mean, Jason's annoying. I mean, it's annoying because it's punching down at the end of the day. Again, I can't get back to it. I mean, they, they, they attached like a community note to it that like Jason Calacanis has not worked a nine to five work day since. I mean, he did when I worked for him. I mean, although I, I get in at eight. He told me I had to get in before eight. But then I was like, but the problem is like, I also work on the magazine, so I'm staying after six. But again, I was Gen X. So I was like, all right, I'll just like kind of like complain about it, but not like go on social media and be like, this is bullshit. I personally love staying late because it meant I could expense my dinner. Those days are off. I remember like D like Droga 5 when my wife worked there, like they were advertising one of their perks with the fact that like everyone, they had a family dinner every night. Some major, I was like, that's not a perk. That's a threat. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Her complaints couldn't come at a worse time. The world is really janky right now. And there's a lot of people suffering. Okay. And here comes this person from a seat of privilege early in a career, oh safe in her home in New Jersey, an attractive, educated young woman, like puke, man. Like, you, you gotta know, just like, keep me. it to yourself. Really? You can dismiss anything by using that argument, if you ask me. Like anything. What? Someone complaining from a seat of privilege? Yeah, like I could get mugged like down the street and it'd be like, well, it's not like, you know, you're at a war or it's not like you're starving. It's, I'm like, well, yeah, but I just got She's mugged. crying on TikTok about getting home at 6.15. It does. I'm sorry, it it's not the same as getting mugged. Okay, fine. But leave aside the emotional aspects of that. And in I fact, it is sympathy. like being mugged because being mugged is just like happens. It's worse than being mugged. It happens like just a moment and then you're better. The problem is that 
if you look a little deeper at her social media profile on TikTok, is that we now, because of social media, feel the need to live out these sort of characters and share every dimension of our life publicly. And it's just, it's just annoying. Keep it to yourself. Go to work. Figure out. Really? Now you're getting into young boomer territory. You were, you were being even-handed, but... No, I'm going to be even-handed about other things. I mean, what we could talk about right now, we could talk about other stuff that kind of falls off of this. Because, did you read that letter? So, I'm sympathetic about rethinking work personal structures and hierarchies. I love flat organizations. I still think you need incentives for people to want to get ahead, make more, achieve all of that, which kind of drives the system forward. I think that too much entitlement creates, you, you know, has knock-on effects that are not good for the world. And we did have a thoughtful conversation about a month and a half ago about why unions had become so important to young people in media in particular and how for a minute even though that was personally a very difficult time for me in fighting you know feeling like you had gone to war with your employees and the ones that i personally valued most you know the people that made the thing that we were proud of and that we sold and then you look at you know where we are today and I, i'm kind of confused about it honestly because there's a little bit of kind of Roger Lynch skepticism or hate going on. Roger's the CEO yeah. of, of Condé Nast. Yeah, there's people dropping like lots of like... Yeah, you know, Lynch. Lauren at Puck is going after him a little bit and it's a fun institution to, to kind of write about. And the union wrote a letter based on some talk about future restructuring, which to me, if you work in media, particularly print media, or pretty much any media right now, restructuring is just kind of a yeah. way of life. Imagine Condé Nast having a reorg. Wow, that would be amazing. Yeah, and then the union said, like, we want you to tell us what the reorg is, who's going to be affected, how you're going to make sure, you know, ensure that there's no job cuts. We want a level of transparency that no one has ever seen inside of a company, or in Condé Nast in particular. Set a date, make sure that it happens by October 30th and come out and tell us exactly what you're going to do and how we're well, they wanted like an open town hall right like or yeah. some yeah it was like demanding like show up at this time in the cafeteria and tell us what you're going to do yeah it's like an old west showdown yeah in a Condé Nast cafeteria i understand that those people work really hard and want to know what the future has in store for them. But on the other hand, I sympathize with someone who has to manage that kind of company right now and how you do that with a level of, I don't know, compassion and transparency that this group is demanding. So let me ask you, with, with all of this, I, I think that's a great point. And the New York Times like technology guild, I didn't know, like the, it's really interesting that tech workers at media companies are unionized and they're not unionized anywhere else. They're one of the only, they did a half-day walkout this week. Yeah, yeah. and on Slack, they, they logged off Slack for those who are remote. Oh, those who are remote are protesting that they have to go back to the office. I don't know. I, I don't love Slack. I'm expressing my love for Slack. I hate Slack. I, I oh don't, my God, it's I don't the miss best. it at all. Really? Let's I get on Slack. Slack. Oh, it's my favorite. In fact, I've long thought that I was wrong on this. I predicted that media companies would pull the plug on Slack because actually assign the story. It's where, it's where the unionization took place. It's where di discontent festers. Yeah. Although every time I walk by Slack and people tried to like change the windows, like at the open office, I would always joke. I was like, that's okay. The good shit's always on Gchat. I like anyway. Slack <laughs> so much that some of my young colleagues sent me a t-shirt that said, Troy Young is typing. 
Okay, which is yeah. a little notification inside of Slack. Yeah, no, I actually insisted that all groups, not just technology and product, and all it moved pretty quickly to editorial teams, that all groups embrace Slack, that we use it as well for a front end of all of our CRM stuff, and that if they wanted to get in touch with me, they should just get me on Slack. Not yeah, I mean, I did something similar where we tried all sorts of collaboration tools that didn't stick. I'd done this and all these other things. And I just said, well, I'm not responding to email. I only respond to Slack. And that was one way of forcing everyone to adapt. I mean, people were into Slack. Once they get into Slack, I think that's the problem. The power of Slack, maybe it's changed a little bit over, I haven't been on it in a few years. It becomes another social network and it didn't become about collaboration. It became about like wasting time. And I was as guilty as anyone else of that stuff. So I don't miss it. It's just, it didn't add much to my life. But it was the locus of a lot of union organizing that the older generations usually are the ones who are the management. I've been trying to put down. The rates of unionization are not, not much higher overall across the economy. I think we're seeing more labor actions, but really there are not more people out on strike when you look at the data than there were like 10 years ago. Yeah, and it's it's a more complex environment now. So the UAW used to have a million members and they just struck that deal with the top three domestic automakers representing a hundred and I think 147,000 unionized employees. The story behind that, by the way, is really interesting because it was a real changing of the guard of a young labor lawyer and a couple of other folks that architected this action, the strike, and it was really effective. You know, the UAW has a troubled history of corruption and this particular, you know, the rotating strikes and how they did it with all three automakers at once yielded an incredible outcome. I think close to 30% wage hike over four years with some other protections. So yeah. it's been good, but I'm wondering, Brian, well, I wait, hate wait, to steal wait, wait, the moderator through. Let, let me just go back to that because like, this is one of a string of the workers are kind of one, actually, in like a lot of these union battles. UPS workers won, broadly speaking. The writers won, broadly speaking, and they didn't have a time Kind of, record. except that it's a little bit analogous to the auto workers thing where they might have won, but there's going to be fewer of them. Yeah, because like the long-term challenge, I think that what's interesting about a lot of these cases is where things are going. For the auto industry, it's the EV. And EV factories need far fewer workers like that's just how it works and if you look at where the ev factories are going yeah, and more the, there's more production in mexico and elsewhere yeah. well they're going into non-unionized places like they're mm -hmm. that the growth it'll be interesting to see how this plays out politically because like my guess is like biden will get zero credit for the fact that all these jobs have flooded into red states that don't have unions but such is life but also with the writers it wasn't the main thing but ai that was a lurking issue and i think it's going to become a big part of a lot of these union battles in media companies too. I mean, we see people, we see publishers getting the backlash at, at using AI from, I mean, look, everyone looks out for their own interests at the end of the day. And AI is a threat to, I don't care what management people say, they're always just going to be the same in some ways. They're always going to look for efficiencies. And they're, the way you get efficiencies in media, which is cost cuts, is cutting people. Like that's just well, the they is stuff. you, Brian, and the they what? Well, you're you know you've been a manager for quite some time, and you're a <laughs> I'm an independent sole proprietor. 
small businessman. Uh, you were on the cap table of Digiday, which means that you were a capitalist by definition. And you now are the sole proprietor of a growing young media company. Concern. You Concern. are them. You are them now. And I've noticed that your cynicism has so slowly <laughs> evaporated with your change in status. My change in right? status. No, because you fit really well into the kind of like archetype of angry journalist. Oh, I'm not. I'm not at all. Not, not anymore. No. I've always wanted to play footsies with the capitalist class. No, I know where my bread is buttered. I'm 50 years old. What am I, I'm not going to, I'm not in for a revolution. I think in not, not too distant future, if you can find a little bit of leverage in the rebooting, a few more dinners, a couple more <laughs> webinars, you're moving up to business class. They're online forums. It's okay. You're moving up, dude. Front, <laughs> front of the plane. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I came down here to Miami in a premium economy and it's just fine. Just fine. Actually, I went to, to Fort Myers to the retirement community. And I got to tell you, this is another generational thing. Retirement communities are great. They're great places. I understand. I always would make fun of the idea and stuff like this. This community, I'm only five years away from being eligible for it, which is really alarming. <laughs> but there's a lot to do. There's a ton of activities. They have new pickleball courts. I played a lot of bocce. There's a pool, resort-style pool. There was like What are you doing right now? Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to sell Pelican Preserve. It's our new sponsor. Yeah, right. How's the food? The food's not great, I'll be honest with you. you do they nobody... make the food for them or do they make their own food? Well, I mean, no. I mean, every, it's like not like a nursing home. It's, it's a 55 and better community. Thank you. I mean, they have golf like carts. A, they, yeah. And you ride around on golf carts and they can go pretty fast and they're fun. They have a shooting range. There's no shooting range, although it is Florida. So they have a preserve, they have alligators. There's some wild boars, which, you know, Florida has a lot of invasive what, what species. Do you, what do you mean wild boars? Like running around the facility? Yeah, there's wild boars. It's Florida. There's all mm. kinds of crazy stuff, particularly on the West Coast. I don't know. But, Florida has a lot of non-invasive okay, species. But, anyway, let's get back to Gen Z. Yeah. Because I think it's also interesting. I think we're on a much more if there can be something more serious than work in America. We were seeing this divide with all the protests over the war between Israel and Hamas. And there is a generational divide in many ways that I think has caught a lot of people of our generation kind of unaware. I don't know if you felt that. I've gotten a lot of texts from people who are like, I can't believe what is going on right now. Do you mean that that you're surprised by the number of young people that are supporting the Palestinian cause yes, publicly? I yeah. am. I am. I go back to 9-11. Some right? people are blaming that on TikTok. And that's where I think I, I see the blame on TikTok and I see the blame on professors indoctrinating young people and stuff like this. And, and I, I just think that it's a repeat of the same, maybe there's some of that in the margins, but I don't know. I just, I don't remember young people be under the sway the Svengali's like but what can you help me can you help me with something here yeah because I, I don't really know if I understand I I do get the observation but the so in the 60s boomers you know fought against the Vietnam War yeah. and that led to sweeping social movement and changes to you know a broad kind of disintegration of a social conservatism in the country in our generation well, sort of in, in, in places. I mean, yes. Richard Nixon returned a few years later, so I don't know. Okay. Well, then, then just move on to the next generation okay. because I think it's, it's kind of uh, a revolutionary moment was also, like, was punk rock, probably, right? 
and it was fighting against Reaganism, what? Thatcherism. Yeah, right-wing values. And, and in England, where it originated was the kind of, were economic conditions for youth, right? Yeah. Like, and it became a movement, and we thought it was cool, and we you know, got mohawks and dyed our hair and listened to the exploited and sang, you know, listened to songs called like Sex and Violence. Like just anything that was you know, challenged yeah. what was considered transgressive. Be- transgressive be- yeah. So th- that was l- kind of the rebellion of our generation. And now we are... Our generation? My God, you're older than I thought. Well, I mean, punk rock was my generation. Really? It wasn't mine. Well, what year was the sex... You know, never mind the Baluxa, Sex Whistles was what, 1977? I was four? I mean... Yeah, it was 10. So it was <laughs> See, a little before my time. you are Right, but well, no, I was ten, which makes me Gen X. You're proving my point. Look it up. Just took forty minutes. Anyway, after that came the Clash and some other stuff that became important parts of our childhood culture. Our youth my childhood culture. was Reaganism. That was my childhood. Oh, we hated Reagan. Canadians despised Reagan. We didn't. We could never understand why Americans liked Reagan. Born in America, born in the USA. Yeah. So this generation has got its own, you know, battles to to fight. Right, and they're around a more socially just society, yeah. around gender identity, around now work, around you know climate, social justice. Now we have a moment where that can get manifest in real anti-establishment behavior, which is what you're seeing play out with the support. I mean, I'm not trying to make it into something that's j- j- just about I identity politics but it is i think it's it a is, large part of, of it is is identity politics 100 percent. so i it shouldn't surprise you in the end i suppose i mean okay so like i guess it should quote unquote shouldn't surprise me but it did i, I think that's just a part of growing older is you know i think a lot of times we fool ourselves we think the longer we go that like things stay static even though we know intellectually that things rapidly change but the human mind, I, I think, fools us into thinking, yeah, particularly as we get older, point. that things will continue at, as broadly the same. And I think this one gets, char- why it's more complicated is because it gets characterized as anti-Semitism. You know, I think it may be that, but it might be that and other things. Right. Well, that's why it's like difficult because it's so complex and we're not going to be one of those podcasts that tries to do Middle East geopolitics and, and all of that. But I'm wondering, in your t- in your opinion, where where does this where does this lead us? Because if if we want to just kind of like continue and wrap up the conversation around it, I want to understand what the future of like having a kind of professional existence or the future of work looks like for my kids, and wh- what are we, what are we going to see? And I guess it's really hard to put your finger on, largely because I think of AI. Because I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on people that would have otherwise been sort of effortlessly, not effortlessly, but upward mobile on account of just having the right education. I think it's going to accelerate. I mean, I have a very clear point of view on this one. I think it's for the people that stay within the established institutions, there's going to be more conflict than ever. Like the new norm is this adversarialness. There's no going back to the sort of boomer consensus of, you know, between workers and management and stuff like this. Those who stay are going to fight. There's going to be more union battles. The fact that we have such low unemployment is going to be a long-term trend. 
labor markets are still good. I, I do not believe that AI is going to eradicate, like, that we're going to have massive unemployment. I just don't believe that. I think it's going to get more competitive and companies are going to have to do more with less. But I think that there's the, the age of the empowered worker is going to continue. And on the other hand, we're going to have an increasing number of people. And one of the reasons that the workers are going to be empowered, we're going to have an increasing number of people who are opting out altogether of that system. Because now mm -hmm. you can. Like what I'm doing now, I could never have done earlier in my career. I can remember having a conversation with you where you almost like encouraged me to do what I'm doing now, but it was like 2007. <laughs> it would have been better if I started then. I think I would be farther along, maybe. But then it was like, I was like, oh my God, that would be impossible. What would I do? Get did type, I do that? Get type pad? You did. We went to Central Bar and you actually you, you suggested you? that. You did well. Yeah, so. You did you, in your own way. You like you did it by being like you're wasting your time. You know, <laughs> I saw through that, and I saw that you you. I was like, oh well, he cares enough to give me give me advice that I still. Remember. Oh, I care a lot. But you no, know, what surprised me lately is how committed you are to it. Oh really? Yeah, I think it's great. Part of that people opting out, therefore, the groups that do stay engaged in corporate structures have more leverage. I think you're implying. Yeah, and that. Some people just kind of abandon. I mean, the 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 question is: is what what happens to the service economy? The service economy? Yeah, I mean, it just we just see price inflation. So either you decide that you're going to be you know self actualized like you have, or you are going to work in a corporation, or you're going to do something else, and you think that you know as AI replaces or makes more of the economy more efficient that those jobs just gets absorbed. The, the human labor humans just gets absorbed. Create, place. Humans always create work. Automation, it came for ad buying. And guess where it gets created? That's my point. It gets created in doing things for Brian, the service economy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the crazy, this is why I think Gen Z, I, I have a lot of, one of the reasons I have a lot of sympathy for them outside of my self-interest is they were sold a bill of goods in a lot of ways. You know, the number of liberal arts majors is down 30% in the last decade, okay? Like, history majors are dying out. I was a history major. Like, there's going to be no more of us left on the earth pretty soon. And the Bryans. Nobody's named Brian anymore. So I'm, I'm like two for two on that. We're, I'm, I'm the last of a generation, truly. And they were all that learn-to-code generation, and then they get out of college, and AI is replacing a lot of, like, the coding jobs. And they did the right things. They went to college, they took out all the debt, and then they were left with, in their view, not a lot. Not a lot of great prospects. And that's when the economy is amazing. It, it expanded at, what, like 4.6% last quarter? It's like an amazing economy. But if you can't afford a home, you can't see a pathway to affording a home. Some numbers on CNBC mean nothing. That's what I think. So adapting to those, I don't think that's going away. And so what I want wonder is how companies are going to adapt to this. Because everyone I talk to, I went to a dinner last week for a bunch of people who are running media companies, right? And I'm like a nano publisher right? with two, three, two or three part-time people. And these are people with like you know, hundreds of employees and stuff. And the most common thing people said to me was, oh my God, I would so much rather have your setup. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the normal sort of grousing of like the, the boss class as I, like to, as I like to slander you guys with, even as I'm part of it. That, that group is getting to know me through the podcast. They, they like us, Brian, is what you reported back. 
right? Oh, they do. They do. So one of one of them, I'm not. I'm going to allow anonymity. Told me to continue to give you shit. <laughs> Why? Why? Because I like the dynamic. It's fun. Yeah. Like, let me ask you a question. You're now not three years. A little less than three years, yeah, like out around, from around three years. Yeah. Yeah. From, Would you go back to like if someone calls you up with like a with a really good like say CEO job at a media company that's dealing with the similar challenges and, and situations that you were dealing with. It hurt. Like, would you do it? I think about that a lot because there are things that I miss. And, and I get a lot of it because I have operational involvement with a few companies. So I get to work with great people every day. I like people. I like working with people. And so... But you already, you work with people without having all the bad shit of like... Yeah, right? I mean, to answer the question... You know, working in a business that's rapidly, you know, struggling to adapt to a new environment with inside of a construct of real conservatism and people that are kind of loath to do what it takes to get to the new place, like that doesn't feel right to me. So I don't, but if someone said, here's an interesting operational role where you can participate in the success of the business and there's real challenges that we'll take on together and let's go fight it and let's build something like that's interesting to me. So, you know, I'm not against it. Yeah. I do like, you know, aspects of this life a lot. What aspects do you like? Oh, I just like the flexibility. I like working with different companies. I like Yeah, so you know, so Gen Z wants the same thing, right? I mean, this is like during the pandemic, I went I had a lot of time on my hands and somehow I got on like an invitation list to one of these like watch parties or dinners during Art Basel. And I went and I was like, I'm interested by just what kind of people are at the Grand Seiko unveiling or whatever. And I was talking to this woman who was like an art dealer and she was like, they have to get back to the office. The reason they don't want to be back at the office is they're lazy and they don't want to work. I was like, wow, strong opinions. I was like, so you're back like full time the office? She goes, oh no, I work from home. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Well, that's annoying, but whatever. Self-awareness. You know, one of the other things you talked about, this is a maybe a little bit of a topic shift, but the one of the interesting things about where we are at is I, I noticed someone is sorry texting me like crazy. It's Alex. And, uh, yeah, he wants to be on there. He wants to be in Discord. He's on Discord right now waiting for us. I was just thinking about, I don't know if we brought this up on a previous podcast, but the evolution from, you know, you t we talked about media world to information space and how increasingly the structures of media around, you know, ad-supported media are kind of disappearing. And, I, you know, I was on a, on a call with someone who runs an e-commerce company and the challenges of, of managing ROAS, return on ad spend, against a Facebook or Meta buy or a Google buy are literally like having relationships with a utility that delivers water to your house. It's like you have no choice. You have to deal with it and you have to figure out the best way to deal with something that's a, that's a fixture in your life. It's not, I'm deciding to buy media with Meta. It's like, I need this distribution yeah. and it is just part of the landscape that I have to deal with. And I need to figure out how to best respond to the kind of ups and downs of that distribution reality. I just think that increasingly so much more of so much of digital advertising is simply that the people with the best machines 
sitting on top of the best data sets with the best buying interfaces to deliver an economic equation, that's media. That's all media is. I mean, and there's always, you know, media is a big place and there's always going to be brand stuff you do and Chanel is going to want to advertise on, you know, Vogue or whatever. But, you know, there's a storytelling dimension to it. But increasingly, all the money is Google, Facebook, Amazon. I mean, that's what I hear. I mean, from what I hear is the spending going to publishers is just de-risk. Like, I mean, they just don't like the fact that they have, you know, if it was just by the numbers, you just dump all the budgets into... Depending on it's like you know maybe right. maybe you go on Amazon maybe you don't but it's but like it's Google what we Facebook. talked about forever the entire industry is being mechanized it's all driven by performance numbers the people with the best machines that are able to set up the best machines that make that distribution available to you are the ones that wins sure. and everything else is completely marginalized and that's the future of media yeah it's smaller I it's, I it's like there's no other way to like put it other than it's a smaller industry because they're never going to build, no media property is going to build a better mousetrap than Google and Facebook. And the only thing that would change that is massive government action to, to change that. Like that's the only thing. There's no competition. It's totally true. And because you have locked in formats and a coherent distribution system, you can optimize it. And just a couple things just to reiterate mm-hmm. what's struck with me is A, you're not media buyers people, you're managing a utility. It's just a completely different relationship. B, the open web has never had that sophisticated an interface to buying media that is systematically performant. And so, yeah, we have this huge ad tech industry that sits between a buyer, a DSP, and a publishing endpoint. But for the most part, that's limited from a performance basis to like retargeting and cheap banner ads and like buying buying CTV programmatically. But like the systems that deliver customers sit outside of the open web. Unless and that's why I, I always go back to early on, I can remember being at an interview with David Kirkpatrick who wrote one of the early books about Facebook. And he told an interesting anecdote about how Mark Zuckerberg, and I remember this, how he used to always call Facebook a utility to differentiate it from MySpace, which at the time was dominant compared to, to Facebook. And until he got lawyers and the lawyers said, stop using that word. And he's like, but it's utility. He goes, no. He goes, regulators hear, hear utility and they regulate utilities. They don't leave them yeah. alone. So then all of a sudden he started calling it a platform. So that's why we talk about platforms. But what they are, like you're saying, is essentially utilities. And utilities are regulated. So the government has a role to play because they've always had that role to play with utilities, perhaps. Maybe it's different because it's not electricity, but it sort of is. Like, I mean, you think about like the backlash against Elon Musk the stuff that makes the most sense is as societies, are we comfortable with an individual who decides whether Gaza gets the internet? Are we comfortable with an individual who decides whether, you know, the Ukrainian armed forces can have connectivity when they're attacking Crimea? It's sort of bonkers when you start start to think about, we talk about oligarchs in other countries, but oligarchies are across the world. We have oligarchs here. And every society is having to, and we have to decide how we're going to handle that oligarchy. And I believe that that the new generation, just to bring it back to Gen Z, is going to have no time for the oligarchy, but I could be wrong. Way to tie it back. 
Yeah, that's what I do. Should we leave it there? It was a weird episode. I think that's good. It was weird. A little wandering, but you know, if you wanted to bolt a good product. Oh yeah, good product. I forgot about that. I got a lot of good products from the retirement community. One of the nice things about having more work flexibility is getting to happy hour. I went to happy hour at a local restaurant last night. I never go to happy hour. No? No, never do. Oh, you're post-economic. I, I love the happy hour. Well, I reached Except out to a friend my of mine app, afterwards. I said, app. we need to make it a routine of going to this place for happy hour, where margaritas are nine bucks, which is you know seems nine like bucks. a lot for happy hour. And uh, really good tacos are four each. So you can have your tummy full for 16 bucks. That's good. Happy hour. I had a glass of wine during happy hour in New York City that cost $20. And it wasn't like a fancy place. So I don't know if Jerome Powell has, it's right, it was right near the Federal Reserve too. So I was like, maybe you guys should walk up the street, check out that. Well, what other, what other good products have you stumbled onto? So I'll one up you on the happy hour because, you know, the retirement communities have happy hours too. There's this idea that in retirement communities, like there's no like life going on, like inside the walls. I'm here to tell you there is vibrant social scene going on. There's a pool there, as I mentioned, the resort-style pool, and they have a bar there called Flip Flops. I watched the Eagles game at Flip Flops. And they have happy hour every day, and here's the best part about it. It starts at 3, because people go to bed by like 7.30 or 8. So they just, just everything just moves back, you know? So like you're eating lunch at 11, you're having happy hour at 3, you're asleep at 8, you're up at like 5.30. It's great, and then you're, you're riding around on golf carts, <laughs> it sounds perfect I feel like I'm inching towards that you already qualify you could move in let me know if you need a referral there's 2500 doors at Pelican Preserve it's a good place recommend it would, would it cost a lot to get into one of those I don't know it depends on what kind of unit you're going to get but if you wanted like a freestanding one I don't know maybe like 600 maybe Not I don't bad. know I'm, I'm guessing. I, I have no idea I didn't price it out I could yet. buy a couple of them and put them together <laughs> I don't think they let you do that it's very egalitarian, like, and everyone is happy. That's what I noticed. And that's why I think like, you know, look, getting old can be pretty lonely at the end of the day, and particularly as you, you know, we're living longer. But I will tell you this, man, when I go to that retirement community, I'm so happy my parents are there. Like, people are all happy. Like, I know people make fun of like, old people like going to retire in Florida. Let me tell you, the old people don't care because they're happy. They really are like enjoying. There's activities like nonstop. Is there a golf course? Yeah, there's a golf course. There's everything. There's there's horseshoes. There's there, there water aerobics. There's a pool. There's a gym. There's a softball field. They play softball? Well, not the very old people. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my, my parents will be like, well, they're young. <laughs> they're like one of the young people. And I was like, he's like in his late 60s, mom. But everything's relative. So right. So that's your. What's your product then? Retirement communities. Okay. And happy hour retirement communities. And on on Sunday when I went for the game, one of the servers they they dressed the servers in like referee outfits too, had said it's all day happy hour. <laughs> then I was like, I guess so because it's Sunday. Like, what's the difference? Like, there's not a work day. So again, to pull it back to the Gen Z girl, just keep your eye on the prize. You got to get into that fifty-five and better community, but. I do think that we're going to, maybe we can do a new episode on rethinking retirement because I think retirement is another outdated institution that is going to be severely rethought. Everyone should take nice. a break in their career of at least a year, possibly two, and do it multiple times. This idea that you just work 
from 18 or 22 if you go to college, 21, until 65, and then you do nothing. It just doesn't make any sense. That, 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 again, it was another institution that was for industrial workers. It's not for what many of us do, which is type on laptops and talking podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Please do leave us a rating and review. It helps people find this podcast. I'm going to be doing this podcast. We're going to be doing this podcast like for another like 30 years, right? So it's fine. Hope so. Hope so. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. We'll see how that goes. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.